Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Today I'm excited because I'm speaking to Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus. If you don't know what Pro Football Focus is, you, you might have seen it referenced in various broadcasts. Chris Collinsworth owns this company. It started off as a European company that graded film based on television copy right and um and his at times been a source of controversy because people don't agree with the grades i'm one of the people that oftentimes won't agree with the grades i've learned over the years oh you're not supposed to just take the grades at face value you're supposed to look at the grades in context and you don't use it as a way to compare this player to that player but people get it all up in arms because they think that these uh these pro football focus nerds which actually also now include a lot of quote-unquote non-nerds, just former football bros like Chris Collinsworth and otherwise, um, that that grade a lot of players but also keep track of a whole bunch of different stats. And NFL teams themselves, uh, many of them now use and subscribe to a, a more advanced version of pro football focus. So really bright guys who just watch a ton of film, and they've earned my respect through the years. Because they flat out grind harder than anybody else does. There are a whole lot of ex-jocks like me that would love to be able to just waltz in and say, you don't know because you didn't play the game. Uh, that's all. That's a, that's, that's a cocky pop. Is poppycock? Cocky pop sounds like... That, you don't want that on your browser history. That sounds like a bunch of poppycock. So... Uh, it, because these guys just flat out watch a whole bunch of film. So without further ado, uh, I'm going to roll into this real casual like I rolled into the actual interview itself. Sam Monson. <laughs> Sam Monson. Um Co-founder of PFF, Pro Football Focus, uh, a man. Not who, quite. Not quite a co-founder. One of the first? One of the first? Yeah, yeah. One of the first. One of the first in the building, but I can't, I can't quite claim that, that level of uh, illustriousness. So Neil, Neil founded it, and then you, uh, yeah. you hopped on pretty. You were, when it was still just a European operation, you were, uh, that's when you jumped on? Yeah, all the uh, all the sort of f- first guys that he got in to help him were all European of various degrees. We all basically knew each other from the official NFL UK like message board. So Neil had this idea, kind of very briefly sketched out the system, and then just needed people to come on and help him do games because he had like a full time job. You know, he was a business consultant. Um, so he needed people to come in and help. And the only people that 
like he knew that would make sense for that in the UK were people from the NFL UK's message board, like people that actually knew football to a degree and could help him come and do this. So he, he grabbed a bunch of us from there and we started doing games like game by game on a sort of part-time basis to begin with. It's, um, I was thinking about it while I was driving today because I've been following you guys from, I think, before you were even close to mainstream. And I, and I think like a lot of people, I had kind of, I was intrigued and it was a, a guarded intrigue at first. And it was actually, you know, a lot of just listening and, you know, eventually to the podcast with you and um, Steve Palazzolo, but then also just following you on Twitter. It, it became really clear, okay, these guys just watch a ton of football <laughs> and uh, there's a, there's an old saying, I can't remember which artist it was. It said that, you know, if you want to, if you want to know what good art is, you look at, you look at a thousand paintings and after a while you'll start to get, uh, you know, without even being able to verbalize it. And I feel like you guys now, obviously you, you dissect it and you learn it and, and, and you break it down more than just looking at it, but there's something to be said for just watching way more film than anybody does. Isn't there? Yeah, I think so. Particularly because I think sometimes people can get lost in the football jargon, you know, in the technical terms, but especially as there's like, you know, several different languages of what things are called and all these kinds of things. And if you come from like completely outside of that and, you know, you don't know necessarily the technical term for everything, but you know what you're looking at and you can articulate it. Um, I think you sometimes can get like a cleaner way of conveying it to people as well, because you don't get bogged down in, you know, all of the standard NFL terms that everybody who was playing in the NFL all knows and can kind of talk back and forth with each other. But you just know what you're talking about and can kind of tell it to other people. And there's definitely there was a stretch where when before we um, sort of had all the deals with NFL teams and, and media and those kinds of things where we were getting all the games done, but we weren't on the same kind of time crunch that we are now. Mm hmm. So there was a period where the, the team of guys that were doing all of the grading was really small and a good two or three years, I would say, where there's literally nobody on the planet that watched more football than Ben Stockwell in particular, who was our, he was the sort of chief analyst that we had, but also the guy that was fastest at it. So not only was he sort of doing more than everybody else just because he was the, the head guy, but also he had this freaky ability to do it way faster than other people as well because he like created the system. I would say there's a good two or three year stretch where literally nobody on the planet watched more NFL football than that guy. Um, and that, yeah, you're right. It just it gives you a, a level of authority that, you know, when people are sort of guesstimating of, hey, I, I seen this trend throughout the NFL based on snippets here or there he would say things based off like having watched every game that took place <laughs> that year. Well, that's where, and, and then in, when you started to become more mainstream and I know when, when Collinsworth bought you guys, it just probably hit, you know, hyperdrive. Was there, was there a new level of understanding once NFL teams started working with you to where you could, cause I know like I do this too. I always try to remind myself when I see something that looks really stupid on film, I always try to remember, all right, there's only a there's only a 25% chance that that defensive coordinator is a genuine moron. So 75% right. of the time somebody either made a mistake or they had a good plan and a good theory and it's just it was just the, the wrong defense for that for that call the offensive play. So when you when you can actually communicate with those guys did you guys refine it even more? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's one of the biggest things that's helped us out down the years is once we get in contact with all these NFL teams and 
they start to help us refine the process and help us get better and help us pick out all the little blind spots in the system and improve them as we go. And, you know, like people, a lot of times use PFF grades as gospel. And it's one of the things that we get, you know, tarred as it's like, Hey, you guys, you're not the be all and end all. I mean, we don't say we are either. Right. But people will use the grades that way. And it, it angers a lot of other people because they get thrown at them like that. All we want to do is to make sure we get better consistently, right? That next year's version is better than this year's version and the year after that, that we're just constantly trying to improve all these things. And, you know, unless you're in every single team's meeting room, you're never going to be hundred percent. There's always going to be little assignment wrinkles or little adjustments that you're not going to know if you weren't sitting in that meeting room. And that holds true for everybody, right? That holds true. If you're Bill Belichick, you don't know what the Titans adjustment was that week on a given thing. And, and he says that, but those margins are pretty small. Like they're not 95% of plays. It's not relevant. It's that one play that you're going to get done by. Um, but there might be a little thing that you learn that'll help you identify that this time. And you can fix that for the next time. So you're just sort of constantly trying to, you know, improve those small margins of error and, and get a little bit less wrong than you were the last time. So there's two guys that I think of this season when I'm trying to figure out, like for people that are trying to quantify and be able to kind of classify different quarterbacks, Kyler Murray and Josh Allen um, just seem to break a lot of rules in a lot of respects. You know, Kyler Murray, I know I see you guys had an article written um, or a blurb today where he's he's sixth in passing grade from inside the pocket and second to last from outside the pocket. And yet he's he's scary as hell when he is running with the ball. You right. just don't want him throwing while he's running. Um, and then Josh Allen. And I don't I can't remember where you are on the Josh Allen apology tour. Are you still are you still officially apologized to the Bills? Mouth? Yeah, yeah. I, I signed the form, so I'm good. And then okay. I've. I've hung on. I hung on, hung on through the couple of rough weeks, and now he played well again. So I'm I'm still in good standing. Is that I? I feel like the weather. Because honestly, I was up in upstate New York for a, a a one week stretch where I saw two of his games. So I was actually living that Buffalo weather while he was playing in that weather. It was miserable, man. <laughs> and I yeah. feel like these last four games before this week were were at least part of it. You never want to make that a complete and total excuse. And you also have to remember, okay, wait, doesn't he have those huge hands? And it, wasn't he drafted with those huge hands so he'd play better in the cold? Yeah, and also when you can throw the ball like a million miles an hour, like at some point that should help you be able to cut through a little breeze. You know what I mean? Like otherwise, yeah. like Steve was telling me this story when I was um, – when I said that, you know, Tua almost threw an interception this weekend trying to throw the ball away, right? He just accidentally hit a guy on the sideline and almost got picked off. And Steve was like, yeah, you know, I can relate because back in the flag football days, I like tried <laughs> throwing out of bounds and it, the wind like brought it back in and, and it got picked off. I was like, well, what is the point in being able to throw a 90 plus mile an hour fastball if you can't cut through a bit of wind? Like, otherwise, you're just the same as everyone else. You're a, that's just one more area where you can claim superiority of rugby over football if you wanted to. Like the toughness of of dealing with trying to kick a rugby ball in the wind versus doing anything with a football in the wind. Exactly. Yeah. Which, yeah. Always, and I'll, I'll let you make as many rugby takes as you want on this on this podcast, Sam. Sweet. I'm not going to want a really good gonna... one. I, I got a good one. For give you. me one. Give me one. You give me one. Uh, Purdue's Rondell Moore, you know him? No. <laughs> so he's a really exciting um, wide receiver that I think will be in this next draft. Like okay. absurdly uh, quick, small, fast, like ridiculously exciting player. Um, he his my player come for him 
is not going to be a football player. It's going to be a rugby player, a rugby sevens player. Um, this Fijian guy called Jerry Tawai, uh-huh. who is one of the most ridiculous players you've ever seen. You throw that into Google and just watch some of the moves this guy pulls throughout his career. That is Rondale Moore. That's um, I like that comparison a lot. I'm intrigued to watch this guy now, too, because, yeah, the, it's, it's those those sevens players. Anybody that hasn't watched sevens just when it's on in the offseason and you can watch it on NBC or whatever. Is it still on NBC? Um, they uh, just yeah, it was, <laughs> they had NBC had a really nice package for a while. Um, this those, guy's those, got this skill set that you don't see every now and again, but I, I you only really see it from like special ball carriers. Right. Barry Sanders used to do it. Uh, Dante Hall used to do it. This ability to understand when to take a step directly backwards, right? Mm-hmm. Just a, just a step, which one, which causes like everybody on defense to jump into the wrong place. And then suddenly you just shoot back into all the space that you opened up. Those guys do that. That was like Jerry Tawai's calling card. Rondell Moore does it as well. It's something that you just don't see from people very often, but it's like an instinctive thing, I assume, that only those very best guys understand. It's those guys that have like a Wayne Gretzky understanding of the flow of the game, where there's times where... Because I saw Arian Foster would do that too, not with like a step back necessarily, but when he would hit the cutback, he he just had this ESP sixth sense for exactly where the flow of the defense was and like when he could hit the cut back and in which angle to take it was really like it was poetic to watch it was really cool to see him play every single every single week down here which I guess uh, I'll have to ask you about Deshaun Watson because I know one of your theories before the season was I think a valid theory which is that okay maybe Deshaun in the absence of DeAndre Hopkins will become a more complete quarterback because he's going to have to spread it around a lot. And, and I think you've got an argument and a case for that now with the way Deshaun's been playing the last few weeks. I guess the only, the only thing that's holding me back right now, Sam, and we talked about this this morning on our radio show, is that it's still not a better offense. <laughs> you know, it's right. a better – he's a he's, he's playing better quarterback. So I think it's – you can simultaneously criticize Bill O'Brien for thinking it was going to make it a better offense, yet still also appreciate, okay, I maybe I had a point about trying to give Deshaun a more complete view of everything, but he also, you know, he's, he's still not utilizing Randall Cobb. So I'm not sure, I'm not sure that the transition is complete yet, but I could see the argument that he's learning to spread it around, around a little bit more. Yeah, look, the what they got back from the trade will remain ridiculous. Like there's no, there's no amount of Deshaun Watson playing better that can make that trade itself. Good. Um, it, it was just one of the most lopsided trades in NFL history. The other thing is like DeAndre Hopkins is so good that even if uh, Deshaun Watson gets better without him as a sort of fundamental, you know, technically sound quarterback, he needs to get a lot better to replace like that level of drop off, like going from a guy as good as new Hopkins to anybody is going to be some kind of pretty significant downgrade. So even when I was sort of championing this theory in the off season, I was sort of saying that, look, this, it could end up being a net loss for the offense, even if Deshaun Watson does become a better passer and a better quarterback because of it. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing. I I'm kind of coming around to the idea that it's, it looks like it's happening now. Like he's playing better. He had that nightmare of a, a run in terms of opposing defenses that he was dealing with for the first few weeks, but he's coming around now. I think he is playing a bit better. You can see him reading the field more comfortably than he was in those first few weeks. And critically, he like he hasn't had the bad game yet that have basically been in every other year of his career. Like you go 
most of the time he's Patrick Mahomes. And then like three or four games a year, he just has this disaster. He hasn't had one of those yet. And we're halfway through the season. So that's already uh, like ahead of schedule from what he usually does. But like, if he plays like this level throughout the season, I think he's a better player. And then that doesn't mean you still can't upgrade his receivers again, right? You just take a Randall Cobb or a Brandon Cooks. Like there's still room to get better from those guys. Just, you know, a guy that would be, I guess, worse than the new Hopkins, but potentially avoid the, the sort of negative that would come with, with having a guy that becomes his crutch. Um, I want to do one thing with you before I let you go. If you're open for it, I asked my, I asked my Twitter followers to feed me a bunch of football cliches and I, and I want to force you into giving me opinions on these old school football cliches, these old okay. baseball scout type of things. Um, yes. And there are correct answers for some of these. So, uh, so this, this is going to be a very brutal test for you. This is a, my guilty pleasure. My guilty football take that I have right now is that I like the Pittsburgh Steelers because I think they know how to win ugly games, Sam. And, okay. um, and there's also a little part of it, honestly, a part of it too, is that I think because they're built from the front back on defense. And I know yeah. that I know that defensive backs are more valuable these days, but I, so I like that they're, that they're built from up front, that they could win up front in the trenches. So, I, I would ask you, okay, who is built to win ugly games? But the answer is the Steelers. Do you have a different opinion yeah. than that? Um, I, the Steelers are definitely a good one. Um, I think the Bills are kind of built to win ugly because they've got a lot of the same things as, as Pittsburgh. They don't have the defense, but you've got like Josh Allen is almost the perfect quarterback to win ugly. Like that guy will get himself into trouble. He'll, you know, scrap for those key first down to like drag defenders for yards he'll he'll make like the rams game right they won that game ugly when it was looking like it was going to head in the other direction yeah basically because of josh allen oh that might you know what i'm going to go ahead and fill in the bills then too for the other category who wants it more that's a very good uh that's a very good old school who wants it more that team just wanted it more the bills just wanted yeah. it more in that game um who who will win a game sam if they just run the ball 25 times because that's a, because they've won every game that they run the ball more than 25. I don't know the correct answer on this one um, as far as actual statistics, but the old the old belief that somehow all you have to do is run the ball 25 times and they'll win the game. It's probably either the 49ers or the Rams. Those two teams, it's, I don't think it's necessarily be, like, obviously, the, because the running game is successful. But those two teams, the, the run game is definitely integral to the way they play offense, right? Yeah. Because it's like the whole idea of all those, like, the pass game and the run game is essentially built into the same thing. So when the run game is working for those two teams, they're so much better on offense because like the past game is built off the same thing. The other team actually that would be in that category is the Vikings. Mm. Like this past week and the week before, that's how they want to play offense. Like they are the most conservative offense in the NFL, but when it works, it's fantastic. Like Cousins only has to drop back like 18 times, you know, completes 12 of them for like 250 yards. Like that's their dream game. So if the Vikings can get Dalvin Cook going for like a buck 50 off, you know, 20 carries 25 carries they're they're in heaven okay last one uh who once and for all proves that defense wins championships who well the steelers would be that team right they're yeah, the, yeah. the suffocating defense this season the team that the most the team getting after the opposing quarterback the most highest pressure rate we've ever seen like if the steelers roll to the super bowl particularly with ben roethlisberger outside of this week not playing that great 
you know, they they would definitely be a defense wins championship team. It's all it's also okay, and it's the Steelers with uh, a defensive backfield that's just steady, not incredible. But yeah. now with Tom Brady out of the conference and like the peak, the peak Patriots out of the conference, I feel like that actually might be the biggest fortune teller there. Um, yeah, Sam Monson, follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Sam. Sam, I honestly, uh, I've become a true believer in all that you guys do. And uh, I really enjoy the podcast. I got I as excited as a little schoolgirl when I heard my name mentioned on the podcast a couple weeks ago as a friend of the show. So uh, I appreciate it, guys. Keep it keep it going. Thank you, sir. Anytime. All right. Thanks, man. So that is PFF Sam and go ahead and follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Sam. I've got a platinum version or deluxe edition. I can't remember. I subscribe to pro football focus and I do it way more for their actual just analysis um, and some of the deeper dive stuff they do. Frankly, it's just a great way to get a pretty in-depth view of a whole lot of things uh, in the NFL, in the NFL, regarding different players, different teams, and and you sort of learn over time how to look at and interpret some of the grades. And uh, if you're into fantasy football and or gambling, then that's even more resources. I've been trying to I've been trying to form a gambling habit, and it's hard, man. It's uh, if you ever if you ever tried to develop a passion for a vice where you just don't naturally have an affinity for it. I suppose I probably I'm like those people that just don't like the taste of alcohol. I never understood them. I never got it. I was always jealous of people could walk through life just undisturbed by this intense desire for alcohol. I feel like that's how I probably am. That's how I strike people who are problem gamblers. Like it just has no appeal for me. I don't like the taste of gambling. Makes my nose tingle. So Pro Football Focus, check them out. Really cool stuff. And uh, Sam, uh, Sam, and Steve Palazzolo and their Pro Football Focus podcast is something that's been going on for a long, long time. This is how we're going to run it. You know, f- so far with the podcast on Tuesdays, we will do a more football focused thing. On Fridays, I'm going to put out an interview with maybe somebody from the football world, but maybe kind of not necessarily on the side of hey, who are you taking in this week's game, uh, but strength coaches, uh, dietitians got Roberta Anding, a team dietitian with the Texans and uh, had been and had been with the Astros for a long time too, coming up for a future Friday episode. And uh, we're going to roll like that. So when you tune in, you're going to hear interviews and or commentary about not necessarily the hot topic items uh, of the day, but just stuff that I find interesting that I might not talk about on my radio show. I encourage anybody, if you like it and you like that format, go ahead and subscribe and also leave a five-star review. They, they love it. The bosses love it. My bosses at Entercom love that when I get five-star reviews. So appreciate everybody listening. I really, really do. If you need to get in touch with me, you can reach out to me um, at seth.pain at Entercom. That's not Intercom. That's Entercom.com. And everybody have a great rest of the week, and I'll talk to you on Friday. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 